You are listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Glad you guys are here. Um, we want to do a couple couple of things as a family this morning before we dive into the preaching of the word. Um, uh, we have a good friend named Larry Tran. Do we have Larry's picture up, up here? Larry is, some of you know him, uh, some of you don't, but it doesn't matter. He is your brother in Christ this morning. Uh, Larry is actually in the ICU right now with, with uh, symptoms from covid uh, life-threatening. Um, I was talking to Stephen earlier, and they, they were giving him a 15% chance of survival yesterday. Uh, but but um, things have improved a little bit overnight. We've, we've gotten some positive signs. Uh, but there's just been a tremendous amount of prayer effort that's been going on for Larry's life. Larry has a wife and two beautiful little children, and those kids need a father. Amen? Um, so what I, I want Kim... Schroeder to come up, but I want all of y'all to join with us and let's stand together because we have faith for Larry's healing this morning and we want to, um, I don't really know how all of that works. All I know is that the scriptures tell us to pray for the sick. So sometimes we have come into discouraging situations with that. Nevertheless, we continue on. And I, I really, Amy and I were spending the day yesterday together and we, we do feel this. We do feel the waters of the spirit rising. We feel that there is a new hope that is at least a new awareness of hope that is descending upon the people of God right now. It's really going to pave a way for us. And so I think this is a perfect moment to um, put our hearts of love into Larry and his family right now. I just want to share you said about you and Amy feeling the water rising of hope. Uh, Last night I had this dream and all morning and driving here, I'm like, what does this even mean? It was just weird. But I saw a bunch of our body, like different members. I saw your faces and we were on this arc, but it was completely crushed and broken. There was no roof to it. And we were in these waves and in this ocean and some of us were rolling off. And sometimes it's really hard to believe for healing for yourself, you have a hard time. It's easy to look at, well, this is what's going on. People are sick and they die. But sometimes our courage can really rise when we're called to pray for somebody else. Because there's, and I saw in my dream, we were reaching off the side of this broken ark and pulling each other in. And um, we were all really serious, except Andy was at the top of the ark laughing, which I think... It's probably meaningful. But anyway, (laughs) it was kind of like, anyway. um, So just as we pray, if you would picture Larry in these waves right now, that we are called to heal the sick. I don't care what I see, and I don't care what keeps presenting itself to me. I am called to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out the demonic, because Jesus said so. And the more we stand in that without seeing that's warfare. And it's true. So God, we just pray right now for Larry. I pray for his wife and for his children. Lord, I pray for an unexplainable peace to fall upon his wife's mind right now. Lord, that there would even be a joyful laughter that would come out of her because she knows her God. Lord, I pray over Larry. And Lord, we declare as a body in faith, healing, over his body from head to toe. Lord, I pray that you would breathe right now into his lungs, that every single bronchial would just wake up and heal in Jesus' name. God, you are shalom, which is complete, total healing of his spirit, his soul, and his body. I pray that you would be speaking and giving him something for what he's going through right now, that you would be filling him up with a testimony that's going to go into generations, Lord, to come. And Lord, we declare healing over our brother complete healing, Lord. Father, I pray for miracles to happen in that hospital that you would astound doctors and nurses. And I pray for every person that is in that hospital, just because of what you're doing in Larry, it would spread into all those other rooms. 
I pray that nurses would be sent home in the coming months because there's no sick people in the hospitals, Lord. And yeah, we are going to believe that dramatically, that ridiculously, because that's who you are and we're your kids. So we thank you for faith. We thank you for courage to stand up for each other and to reach our arms into scary stuff and pull each other out. And I pray that you would build that in this body, that this place would be a house of healing, that people would come to this place because they know if you go to Queen City, there's people that truly believe in the healing power of prayer. And God, we declare this over Larry and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good job, Kim. Thanks. This is why the body of Christ needs, we need everybody, because I could not have prayed that prayer the way Kim just prayed it. You know, y'all can sit down. Sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, Man, another great, great bit of news. Uh, Zeke Layer is in church today. Baby, Baby Zeke Layer is here, and we just love Zeke, so... I love Zeke more than I love most babies. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a great, he's a great guy. Once you get to know him, you'll really like him. So how old is Zeke now? Five weeks. He's five weeks old. And with that much personality, you know, he's going to go far. So praise the Lord. You guys know we're in a little, we're in a little series called shelter from the storm. I think it's what it's called. Something like something about shelter. Um, I, re- I remember I was going back and forth between naming the series after either a Bob Dylan tune or a Rolling Stones tune, which would have been Gimme Shelter. And I really like that Rolling Stones tune, but the end of it gets a little rough. And so I was thinking I shouldn't probably name it after that one. So, um, But I, I'm continuing on in this, um, this series called Shelter. And the first thing that I want to tell you is the title is Becoming a Shelter for Others. Uh, we looked at a, two other components of shelter, why, why people need shelter, the radical shelter of Jesus. And then we've moved on just a little bit to this, this concept that you and I are sheltered for other people. And so the first thing that I want to start out with by telling you this morning is that you are a shelter, okay? You are the shade in the heat of somebody else's day. You may not know that, but that's the way it is. You are sheltering somebody else in your world. They may be close to you. They may be in your work world. I mean, you may be sheltering multiple people, but um, who you are as a person and your maturity in Christ, as you, how you've grown in the Lord, determines the capacity of the shelter that you can offer. But even if you have just a minuscule ability to offer shelter, you're still a shelter for somebody. Um, And so when we read the Bible, there's this passage in Matthew 5, and there's this famous time when Jesus is preaching the sermon. And um, he's actually saying a whole lot of good stuff. And And right in the middle of all of this amazing stuff that he's saying, he stops what he's doing and he turns to this audience. I think it's fairly large. I think it's numbers in the thousands. But he says this, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You've heard these scriptures before. I know you have. But he didn't say this. He did not say, all you people who actually have your lives together are the light of the world. He didn't say, you really spiritual people in here are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He just turned to everybody in that room and said, you are the light of the world. All right. He said, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he goes on to say, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So you've heard me mention this, this uh, scripture. This is my new favorite scripture. It's John 1, 4, 17. As he is in the world, so are we. As Jesus was in the world, so am I. As Jesus is in the world, so am I. Have you ever thought the opposite of that? Like, I'm not like Jesus. I can't be anything like Jesus. I'm definitely not the light of the world, and I'm definitely not the salt of the earth. I think many people are walking around... Um, 
assuming things that Jesus does not assume about you. From Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, you can, you can gather from the text, it can be proved from the text, that what Jesus assumes about you is that you are the light of the world. And it doesn't matter what you actually think about that or know about that. This is Jesus inaugurating the kingdom of God in the earth. It's a brand new way of being human. Jesus shows up on planet earth and he surprises everybody with this secret that what you've assumed about yourself and everybody to your right and to the left is totally wrong. You've been thinking that you were darkness, but I'm telling you that you are light. You've been thinking you did not add any flavor to the world, but you are salt. You are actually a city on the hill and you cannot be hidden. So as he is in the world, so are we. So in every way, we want to follow him, not in theory, but in actuality. Amen. In the words that we say and the things that we do. So this is kind of a very practical message today. I think a lot of times preachers like to live in this world of theory and in this world of um, kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's like we talk so much about just believing accurately that sometimes we miss the real uh, practical and actual aspects that Jesus explained to people that they could do and why it was important. So it's actually important that you know that you are shelter. It is actually important that you know you are light and that you know that you are salt. So the words that we say and the things that we do are very important. So here we got Jesus. He's standing on this mountain in Matthew chapter five, and it's not a TED talk. You know, a TED talk is one concept in 15 minutes and there's a PowerPoint, but Jesus talks for three chapters. He covers a hundred different topics and he is not apologizing for it. He doesn't care if people understand him. He doesn't care if people are comprehending everything he's saying. He's giving it nevertheless. And I'm sure he's thinking that we'll figure it out later on, but he is declaring forth these radical truths that change the history of the world. All right. So his sermon is massive and it's comprehensive. And at least according to the gospel of Matthew, it's the very beginning of the the message that Jesus brought to the world. And he starts by telling people that this is the very beginning of his message. He starts his ministry by telling other people that they are the light of the world. Imagine that. God himself incarnates into human form with a message. And he starts with, you are the light of the world. Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who work for peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. Don't you think that maybe there were some folks listening to that sermon who thought to himself, themselves, well, that is definitely not me. I'm not humble. I'm not merciful. I'm not pure in heart. And I'm not a peacemaker, but I promise you that Jesus definitely knew who he was talking to. And he said this stuff anyways. He said all this stuff to people who weren't humble, who weren't peacemakers, who weren't the light of the world, who weren't the salt of the earth. And yet here he is saying that very same thing. He's saying the opposite to people of what they believe about themselves. And he's still saying that to us today. And that crowd, that crowd then was just like this crowd in here today. It was full of people. Crowds are full of people. And that's who Jesus is talking to. People are what God likes. People are what God loves. People are who God is talking to. God likes people so much that he actually became one. You know, he didn't become a, a, a human being to just to endure it. He actually highly esteemed humanity. God likes people so much that he became one. And knowing that the crowd was full of real people living in their real lives, he let them in on the secret of who they were. Light of the world, the salt of the earth, and a city on the hill. And then he said this. He said, go and do your good work so that the light will shine. It's so interesting. Jesus instantly attaches who somebody is to what they do. He's getting people to realize who they are so that they can go do stuff. 
Not so they can sit around thinking, oh, I am the light of the world. He's like letting them in so that they can know the truth about themselves so that they can immediately start going and doing good things. So Jesus came to give shelter to the world because he did understand the lay of the land. Jesus was not ignorant when he was saying all this stuff. So what does light stand in contrast to? Darkness, right? What does, what does salt stand in contrast to? Flavorlessness. Jesus was very aware that the world was dark, flavorless, hostile, and full of people who did not realize that God's plan for the world was good. All right? He's saying all this stuff. He's saying the way the reality really is, but he understands that the world is still dark. He's saying he is changing everything in this message that he's giving. So the Sermon on the Mount is the beginning of God changing our perspective of who we are and what we are supposed to be and do. You thought that you were dark, but Jesus says you are the light of the world. You thought you were nothing, just something to be tossed out, but you are the salt of the earth. It matters that you see this. It matters that we get this because we have to know that part of God's plan to revolutionize the world with his goodness actually happens through you and I. If we don't get this part, the revolution gets stunted. If we don't get this part, we'll think that it's just the Holy Spirit's job to do all this work. But the Holy Spirit was given and poured out to empower us to wake up to this reality seen in Matthew 5. The Holy Spirit actually descends upon people so that they can see who they actually were created by God to be. So we know this, the world is a hostile place and it is filled with people who are acting in darkness and flavorless. There are many people who have not realized who God made them to be. And one of the most powerful ways for other people to find out who they really are is for you and I to be a shelter for those people. So it's like, Somebody can't find out that they're the light of the world until you show up next to them and start telling them that is so. Sometimes you have to act like Jesus and show up on the scene and tell people the opposite of how they're living and thinking. That's counterintuitive, but it's the way Jesus works. You know, love always precedes healing. Love always precedes healing. You carry them some, you carry people for a distance before they get this. Sometimes you might have to carry people a long ways for them to realize this. But that's what we're called to. So I feel very adamant about what I'm talking about today because, because I think guys that in the church we've gotten so much wrong. We have a lot to repent of. If you've been paying attention to the news of late that's coming out, particularly in regards to the church, there's been so much hurt and woundedness caused by the church where pastors and leaders who should have been sheltered for people, but ended up abusing and purposely hurting people. And I don't want to get into the weeds on that or the gory details this morning, but it has to be said. Much of the church stands guilty of not only not being a shelter to people, but being the hostility that actually destroys people. I know that's a heavy word, but, but I want to say it this morning, y'all. The church has a lot to repent of. We have a lot that needs reformation. We have a lot of mindsets and beliefs that we need reforming. We need to be transformed into the ways and likeness of Jesus. So I talk to a lot of people all of the time who are to one degree or another deconstructing their Christian faith. And I have this theory that so many people have lost heart with God because they are actually heartbroken. You know, sometimes we get this idea that people who are deconstructing, they just are trying to be difficult. 
or they just want to go off and live their own lives. And, you know, sometimes that's the case. I mean, sometimes people just want to go do what they want. But a lot of people are heartbroken. A lot of people have been in our Christian institutions and have come out the other side, chewed up and spit out. And I don't want to I don't want to not talk about that a little bit this morning, because I know some of y'all in here have experienced this firsthand. And I don't I don't ever want to be like, you know, standing in the place of the accuser and and judging other churches or institutions. I'm just saying we can we at least acknowledge together that there's this reality that exists in the American church right now where, man, there are so many pastors that have done so much wrong. And, and it's not just pastors, but there's just systems that have failed people. And I'm telling y'all, people are God's main event. People are on the heart of the Lord more than anything else. And he is grieved at, at the sins that we've committed. I hope, I hope that's not too heavy. I just, I felt like I needed to say that this morning. But people, people are the inheritance of God. People are to be cherished and sheltered. People are not objects. I talk to people all the time who are brokenhearted and they have a hard time relating with God because someone somewhere objectified them and they justified the objectification in God's name. But let me tell you guys this. This sounds so basic. This sounds so simple. It sounds so non-sermony on the mounts, but it is very sermony on the mounts. Don't objectify people. Don't make another human being the object of your lust. Don't make another human being the object of your wrath or anger. Don't make another human being the object of your manipulation or your judgment or your control. You know, if you're ever moving in like a spirit of control, like you got, you got control issues, you just need to know that you need to grow away from that. The Lord moves in grace and love. He did not call you to move in non-grace and control. People were not created by God to be objectified. People were created by God to be loved, to feel loved, to feel protected, and to feel like they belong. You know, the thing is, it's really hard for people to have hope if they're brokenhearted. You know, like a preacher gets up and says, have hope, have hope. Everybody's writing books like have hope, have hope. But I've just seen so many people who are so brokenhearted that they can't receive that message anymore. So we actually have to prove our love by the way we act towards people. It matters how we behave, y'all. Hope flows out of wholeheartedness. This is what the Lord wants to do. He wants to bind up the brokenhearted. He wants to make brokenhearted people whole again. And part of folks becoming whole is us like coming up alongside people and offering people space and grace and kindness and gentleness so that they could dare hope again someday. Hopelessness is a symptom of brokenheartedness. If you live in a world that is completely hostile towards you and you are always under attack, you will eventually get hurt. And if you live in a world where lies are valued more than truth, you will get hurt. If you live in a world where the mission is more important than people, you will get hurt. But Jesus came telling us the truth about who we really are. And we are becoming like him so we can lay hands on the world and the world can be healed. That's what we're doing, y'all. That's what we're doing at Queen City Church. Guys, here's the thing. I want to get a little bit practical. One of the most powerful shelter that you can build and offer another person 
is the gift of your carefully chosen, gracious words. Your words matter more than probably anything else in your life. Words are so important. We need to think carefully about the things we say. Honestly, I've been so guilty of, of hurting people with my sharp tongue. Does anybody else have that problem? It's like we can destroy people with our words. We know this, we know this well. We can curse people. We can pronounce judgments and damnations on people. And Jesus actually goes on to say this in Matthew 5. If you do this, if you curse people, you will unleash hell on earth. How does hell come on earth, y'all? Hell comes on earth through people. How does the kingdom of God come to the earth? Through people. Y'all, we're not called to bring damnation to our city. Jesus came with good news about God to his city. And as he is in the world, so are we. So here's another really incredible way to heal the brokenhearted. Eulogize people while they're still alive. Eulogize people while they're still alive. I learned this from my friend Adam Russell because Adam always says, eulogies are for the living. And the first time I heard that, my brain exploded because I thought it was the most simple thing I'd ever heard, but it was just an incredible idea. So to eulogize someone means to highly praise them. But we know that eulogy is something done when somebody is dead and everybody shows up for their funeral when they can't hear all the nice things that everybody is saying about those people. Y'all, eulogize the people in your life right now. Go home and eulogize your, your people, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your friends, your coworkers, your kids. Eulogize those folks. Let your people know the best of who they are while they are still living. Let people know what a blessing they are to live among. Do you know how that will change a person's life? I mean, I'm probably the most confident person that I know, and I love it when people say nice things about me. I don't need less nice things said about me. I need more nice things said about me. And I know it's true for every single person in here. Your eulogizing of your world and all the people in it is a shelter that people desperately need right now, especially right now. With the amount of bad information that's coming over all of the airwaves, we can resist all of those algorithms by telling people how much we love them and why. I mean, going on in Matthew Chapter five, Jesus is really encouraging us on this concept of eulogizing thing, but he, he kind of goes at it from the opposite way. Have you ever called somebody an idiot or a moron or a dumb? Come on, be honest. Y'all have. Y'all have called somebody a dumb butt, right? Driving down the road. But this is crazy. I don't know how many times I have bypassed this in this reading of Matthew 5. But this is back to the thing I was saying about unleashing hell on earth. Jesus says this. He said, if you call somebody an idiot, you're in danger. The word, the Hebrew word is raka. Maybe that's why you've missed it before. He's like, if you call somebody raka, you're in danger. You can either go to court or you might be in danger of the fires of hell. 
But I actually don't think Jesus was talking about eternal damnation. He may have been, but I think what he was saying is, if you got a bunch of people walking around the earth who are salt and light, and the power of their words are the most powerful thing on the planet, and they're walking around calling their neighbor idiots, all hell is going to break loose. And you have missed the point of who you are, and you've missed the point of what you're supposed to be doing for the people that you're walking among who you're supposed to be eulogizing. And you have made the grave mistake, the grave error of calling somebody a donkey. It's these little details, isn't it? It's these little things that we find in the scripture that if we actually put those things into working order in our lives, things can actually change, y'all. The world can actually change. I actually believe this. I actually believe that the world is getting better. I don't think the world is getting worse. I'm not preparing for Armageddon, y'all. I do not have buckets of food anywhere. I don't have a bunker in Montana. I'm planning for generations in front of me to come who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who are building shelters in the world so that other people can get to know him too. This right here is not an escape plan. This is not what we're doing. We are not planning our escape, y'all. We're learning how to live among people as real human beings who, who God created for his joy and his wonderments. So we don't want to call people idiots, right? We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Jesus is showing us all through the Sermon on the Mount that our actions matter. Our deeds prove that we are the children of God or not. And when we begin to let the Holy Spirit change our minds and turn toward the Jesus way that we see described in the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to come under the authority of Jesus and we begin acting like him and looking like him and the shelter he offered us so wonderfully, we in turn can be that shelter to those we come across in the world. So when you really think about it, God has decided that the best way of dispensing his healing to the world is for you and I to lay hands on the world. You know, God doesn't do much without you. God doesn't do much without you and I getting involved in this thing. I, I think that some, somewhere along the line, the church lost the plot a little bit about what we're actually supposed to be doing because we, we emphasize grace through faith alone. So, so there's, so this, the concept that nobody is saved by their works is true. Like we receive the gift of salvation from Jesus by grace alone. We're, it's prevenient grace. We stumbled into it. It was revealed to us. We didn't do some kind of great math and figure that out. It was given to us. But there really is a mistake to make that if you think that once you're saved, you could just go on not living like Jesus. There really is a call. There's a discipleship that is associated with following Jesus that when we read the words that he spoke, like we see on, on the Sermon on the Mount, that we get convicted and something begins to change inside of us because our deeds do matter. I mean, after he's telling these people, you are salt, you are light, you're sitting on the hill. He says, do good deeds so that other people can rejoice in God. He's connecting other people seeing God clearly because of what you do. He's connecting other people seeing God clearly based upon how you behave. So you and I are being sanctified by the spirit, and we in turn turn to sanctify the other people in our world, our world. The spirit washes us in his love, and we in turn give that love to folks who do so desperately need to be loved. And I want to tell you this. There's nothing romantic about what I'm saying, like like actual kingdom work of building shelter for people, becoming a shelter for people is actually quite difficult. And it, 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 it takes a lifetime 
of working. It's not like a season of your life that you do this for and then you get to take a vacation for two years. This is like part of our life. This is part of the Christian life of following Jesus. It's hard work. So I don't want to oversell it to you. But it's like in one sense, it's like being a parent. Sometimes you're feeding your kids and there's no reciprocation of love. Like, do you just ever, as a, if you got kids, you ever had that experience where you're just like, what am, what am I doing this all for? Like, this is crazy. Like, I give this person every ounce of my energy and all I get in return is crying and whining and, and, and everything that goes along with that. There's, it's hard to see the harvest of fruit. But it, it comes. Eventually, it comes. You begin to see the harvest of your actions and your good works. But as hard as all of that is, guys, love is the only credible option for us. There is no game plan for us, y'all. There's, there's no, there's no um, strategy. There's no getting super fancy and getting so organized that we can fake the world out and get them to believe in Jesus. Love is the game plan. And, and building shelters for folks is what we're doing. Christ didn't die and rise from the dead so that you could go into the world and control it into believing. Christ sent us with only one mission, to love the world, to love whatever little world we inhabit. That is how you build a shelter for people who are otherwise only using their own resources to survive a very hostile world. I was, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this week. And I just realized, um, well, I was thinking about it this week that there, there's been times in my life when I've gotten kind of weary from following Jesus. And I kind of just wanted to give up on all of that. And um, there, there is a dynamic that people do experience when they leave Christ. Okay. And, and it goes like this. Um, well, Jesus said this. There is a burden associated with following him, right? I mean, he did say it was a light and easy burden, but there is a cost of actually following Jesus. Are you with me? Can you agree with that? Like, there is a cost of following the Lord. And sometimes... People, they get talked out of that Jesus burden. And this is what they do. I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to walk away from God. I'm going to walk away from Christ. And I'm going to go live my own life by my own resources. And, and folks, they actually do for a minute experience a level of relief. You know, there, there is a relief connected to leaving a belief system behind that you've given to your, yourself to for a long time. The problem is that that relief doesn't last. There is no such thing as living your life without a God. You just trade one God for another one. Sometimes that God is yourself. Sometimes that God is money or pleasure or achievements, or, you know, you know, the list of things that people trade God in for. I mean, I actually get it. I get all the advantages of kind of like not really living your life unto the Lord, but living your life in, in these other directions. And, and just imagine too, if somebody is in the church or they've been injured by, by a Christian somewhere, I mean, it just makes perfect sense to abandon, to jettison God. But what I'm trying to tell people is there are other options other than throwing all of this away. We can reimagine what it means to follow Jesus. We can reimagine what it looks like. I sense that in the body of Christ right now, that there is a realigning. There's a reimagining of what it looks like to faithfully bear witness to Jesus and to follow him. 
And I think there will be a leaving behind of certain things. I think in the body of Christ, there will be a leaving behind of a love of power and a love of manipulation and a love of controlling other people. And But I'm willing to give up those bad things if it means following Jesus in a more faithful way. Amen? So... That's the end of that part of my message. I just want to close out with one little bit more. If you guys can just bear with me a little bit. Um, I, I don't really know how to preach yet, to be honest with you. I, I'm still figuring this out. It's like sometimes I write down every word. Sometimes I write down an outline. Sometimes I just, you know, I wing it. And that's just the worst thing of all. But. But what I know about preaching and listening to preaching is that sometimes there's like a whole lot of information that goes across the airwaves and maybe just a couple of things land. And I don't really know that we're ever going to solve that. One thing that I really love is I love it when preachers share their heart. I love it when pastors share what is actually going on with them and what are they actually seeing what are they actually like? I like, I like Robin is always keeping his eye on the horizon. He's like telling us what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is doing. And, and how does that relate to our life? So I just want to share this thing that happened to Amy and I, um, you know, during the sabbatical that Robin and Donna have been on, Amy and I have been spending more time together than normal, kind of like paying attention to what God might be saying us. So I don't know if you've ever been in a season of this before, but it, it's not, it's not all daisies and roses. Sometimes when we're, when I say we're seeking the Lord, what I mean is we're having conversations back and forth. And sometimes the conversations don't always go smoothly, right? But when they do go smoothly and when you find a rhythm and you both start, um, you both start hearing the Lord say the same thing it starts really piquing your interest and you start paying close attention. And Amy and I, we were looking to the Lord for a picture of what he was doing at Queen City Church in this moment right now. I was sharing with the volunteers this morning that Queen City Church is in a season right now of gaining strength. We're coming out of COVID we're coming out of the election. We're coming out of a very difficult past couple of years. And we're not at full strength yet. We are in a season where we're regaining strength, right? So part of that is that, guys, we need each other more than ever before in this moment. Like, Amy and I, we appreciate y'all being here. We love that you guys bring your kids to church, Bringing a load of kids to church is difficult. So if you do that, man, you get extra crowns in your jewel, jewels in your crowns in heaven. I don't know about that, but, but so we're going, we're driving to Asheboro yesterday to have some lunch with some friends and we were praying. We're like, Lord, we need a picture. What is this like? What is it like to, to regain strength? And Amy and I, always respond to metaphors that have to do with the land. We are, we are a land-oriented people. So if you start talking about farming, gardening, gardens, wells, digging wells, like that is the crosshairs of the metaphors that we are always looking for. And the Lord began to speak to us that right now, all of us together are digging a well. And the thing is, we're not digging a new well. We're redigging an existing well. All right. Bear with me. I know this is taking long. We're redigging an existing well. And I said to Amy, I think that's a story in the scripture. And so she gets on her phone. I'm driving. She's Googling it. And we found a story in Genesis chapter 26. And it's the story of the patriarch Isaac is redigging his father Abraham's wells. So what happened was God blesses Abraham. Abraham comes into this land. He digs all of these incredible wells. There's not a lot of rainfall where they're living. So you have to have wells. And these wells are producing so much water that 
Abraham is incredibly blessed and he's blessed so much that the other people that were living in the land got mad. And after Abraham died, they went and clogged up all of those wells with dirt, with rubble, with rock. They filled these artesian wells up to the ground and, and clogged them up for good. And I just think, y'all, in my life, I've had this well inside of me that I have known about and I have accessed it at times in my life when I have really needed it. When there was no rain falling from the sky, there was this living water that was, was inside of me. And you know what has happened in my life? The enemy has clogged those wells up. The enemy has, has brought discouragement and deception and defeat and cynicism and sarcasm and my meme making ministry and just dumped them into, into my, my, my internal well. You know, I mean, I love a good meme, but let's be honest. You can't live your whole life by memes, right? It's dangerous territory. It's like you can go over and play in there for like 30 seconds, but you don't want to live your life over there. That's a lot of like, you know, a lot of real strange anxiety embedded in those things, you know. But this incredible story in Genesis 26 says this. Isaac went and redug all of his father's wells so that they were producing water again. And then a strange thing happened. He starts getting water for everybody and everybody comes to Isaac and starts taking those wells that he had worked so hard to dig up again. And rather than going to war with any of those people, he just kept giving one well up after another. He's like, he would dig a well that his father dug. He would redig it. Somebody would come and say, that's my well. He would go, okay, you can have it. He would, he would go on to the next place. He would redig one of his father's old wells. Somebody would come say, that's my well. And he would go, you can have it. And finally, Isaac lands in a place where he digs out the well and the well was his. And you know what he named that well? He named it Rehoboth, which is this. God has made a place for me. God has made room for me. God has made a way for me. And y'all, this is kind of a prophetic word, but I encourage you guys to take a look at that well that's in your life. If it's been clogged up, if it's been filled up by the enemy or, or whatever, you know how life goes. You just get the cares of the world in there. You get all kinds of strange things going on. The Lord is encouraging us to dig those wells up right now. And there is a grace. There's an empowering part of the spirit that will enable you to do that if you ask him. You know, because I know this. The Lord has a really good future for this church. The Lord has a really beautiful future for your family. No matter where you are in your life, whether you're single, married, got kids, don't got kids, you want to be married and you're not married yet, or you don't want to be married and you got a spouse and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like the Lord has goodness in store for us. And I love what Kim was saying. I don't, I don't care how many times I haven't seen somebody healed. I'm going to keep praying for people. Man, there is an authority with that that comes with that kind of attitude that I want to be a part of, you know? So, hey, if that well picture is resonating with you at all, do you want to just stand up and pray? Does anybody want to stand up and just pray? Over, like, like, let's do that together, you know? Hmm. You know, there, there are things that we can do. That is true. And we talked about that all morning this morning. There are things that we can do. And then there are things that we absolutely cannot do. And we need to fully rely on the spirit of God for those things. So, Father, our prayer to you right now is that you would give us wisdom and grace 
to change and to go the ways that you have described in Matthew chapter 5 and in the rest of the Bible. Lord, let us take your words, consume them, and, and, um, and head towards those realities. Because we know that in those realities, the world is forever changed. But Lord, let it be far from us that we would attempt to do any of this apart from you. And our prayer this morning is for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in such a way that in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years, we would stand in amazement at the way the waters rose, at the levels of healings, at the levels of blessings, at the levels of of encouragement that have come for us. And Lord, we, we ask you right now in this week that any clogged up wells would be unclogged. Those existing wells would be just let those artisan waters flow out of our bellies again, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, here's the thing. I don't want to set you free just yet. Just two more things. Prayer is important. You need more prayer in your life than you are currently imagining that you do. Let me say that. I'll just start with that. But if there's some folks in here who do know that they have specific needs, we've got a prayer team up front here. Is, is that right? We've got a prayer team? Yep. we got prayer folks coming up here, so... They would love to pray for you. If you have any specific needs, just come, come forward after service. And, um, and then the other thing that I want to say is this. Uh, you know you don't have to wait for small groups to start for you to get together with somebody. <laughs> did, did you know that if you have a desire for community, that desire is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to you right now to invite somebody out to lunch? If you, if you sense that you're lonely and discouraged and don't have any friends, there's a bunch of people in here who want to be your friend. So don't rush out the door. Say hello to a few people. Maybe greet somebody with a holy kiss. Maybe, maybe invite somebody out to lunch. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all are free. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.